Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with the Slate Spoiler Special podcast on Twilight Eclipse, the third movie in the Twilight series, based on the novels by Stephanie Meyer. So before we start, be warned, if you didn't get it from the title of the feature, that the Spoiler Special is where we spoil movies. So we're going to have an untrammeled conversation about not just this episode, Twilight Eclipse, but about the whole Twilight series. I don't know what we may spoil or not spoil, so if you're still waiting to read the books, see the movies, and you don't want to know what happens, um, you might want to wait until you have to listen to this. Here with me in the studio is Lizzie Skernick. Hi, Lizzie. Hi. Who is uh, densely qualified to, <laughs> not dense, not a dense person, is densely qualified <laughs> to critique uh, Twilight with me for the following reasons. Lizzie, say, talk about what you write and what you're working on. Oh, uh, well, I'm the author of Shelf Discovery, which is a memoir of classic YA novels and also Twilight because of that, it's just at this point my official beat. I, I mean, I'm really not allowed to discourse on, I'm not allowed to not discourse on any Twilight movie. Are you going to write on this movie? I, I'm going to write on this movie. I don't know where it's going to be, but I have an essay percolating that'll probably go up on my blog, Old Hag, today. All right. If great. I don't talk it away. I really, really, I know you, no, on the contrary, you'll workshop the ideas here and then you'll write them on your blog. Um, all right. I really can't wait to talk for this movie with you. We saw it yesterday and we've been chomping at the bit to get to the mics and, and discuss it. So um, first of all, let me just get your overall reaction. Do you, do you like this movie? Should people go see it? Well, I think people should go see it. Although I guess I have a, I, I always have sort of an editorial reaction, which is a basic thing that I love about these movies is that the books are really so gelid. You know, they really take the material very seriously. You know, they're, they're genuinely hokey. They're genuinely I love that you just of, my jaw is agape that you use the word jelly in conversation. <laughs> but go on. Well, they are, you know, I mean, I was trying to think yesterday as we were walking over in my sort of shocked, you know, silent you know, state from the movie, just that what's strange about the books is that they, they really are like something encased in jello. You know what I mean? They're sort of surrounded by this, you know, hokey Stephanie Meyer sort of earnest writing tone but the directors have been wonderful so far about pulling that out and refining it you know you, you, where she is in earnest they I mean this movie was we can talk about this more as we go but it's like they have understood increasingly as the series goes to be tongue-in-cheek I mean it's it's the most tongue-in-cheek movie in the world and 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 you know that you sort of get I don't know I mean for for people who haven't read the books you know they're really just exposition you know there's there's not a lot of visuals you you don't really I mean she's very very bad at doing that kind of thing and the directors are wonderful at being sort of like oh that's what Bella looks like like and you're like yeah that's what she looks like you know they get everything right in this way that generally speaking directors can't ever get anything right when they take a movie from book to screen. We should also mention, as long as you're talking about directors, that each one of the three movies has been directed by someone different. This one's yes. directed by David Slade. The last one was Chris White's. Yeah. And the first one was Catherine Hardwick. And, you know, I would have thought on paper that Catherine Hardwick, who made 13, which is an amazing movie about early adolescence, uh, would have been the best qualified. But I actually think that Possibly the second and third movies, as you say, I think that the tone is is becoming sharper and more refined with each movie. Also, they do, they do have a pretty remarkably consistent tone, though. You could have passed these off to me as having been made by the same person. I think so. Although they they get increasingly funnier, I think. You know, when you say this one's tongue in cheek. I mean, I I agree. There's certainly some lines that are sending up the whole notion of being pursued by a vampire and a werewolf at the same time. But I also feel like this movie asks for serious emotional engagement from its viewer. Oh. Yeah, it absolutely does. But when they have, I mean, when you see 
when the car drives up with Jacob with its shirt off, you don't ever get the sense that the director was taking that scene very seriously. I mean, the entire audience laughs. And you're sort of, you're supposed to take, you're supposed to believe in Jacob and Edward smoldering at each other. But I also think the director understands it's kind of funny to make them smolder at each other that way. You know, it's it's very sort of like, I mean, I kept wanting to do the snapping from like West Side Story whenever they face Because off. it's the gang, the, the wolves and the vamps. When you're a vamp, you're a vamp all the way. Well, wait, let's take one step back for people who maybe if there's people out there like guys who don't know already all the details of the Twilight universe. Okay, let's just see where we're at in the Twilight universe. So Bella Swan, our heroine played by Kristen Stewart, is this high schooler. She's about to graduate high school at this point. And she is beloved by two men, both of whom have secret supernatural lives. Right. And the second man came in in the second novel also. You know, like there's no Jacob at all in the first novel. Jacob is in the first novel and he certainly has a crush on her, but the it, it's actually progressed very skillfully I think in that, which is another thing the directors refine well. You know, the first novel is about her conflict with Edward, you know, being the girlfriend of a vampire and what that does. Then the second one, the werewolves, which had just been a myth in the first come in, and then it's about Jacob versus Edward, the the werewolves versus, and Jacob actually, not Jacob, Edward disappears from that novel. You know, Edward is not in that novel a lot. You know, he's sort of escaping from the vampire life. And then in this third one, as you said, you know, now it's about the werewolves and the vampires needing to work together for this third different outside conflict. So I actually think she's always kind of good at creating like a little arc, you know, to actually hang the story around. Right. You know, because Edward and Bella... You know, when you're left alone with them, it's it's not like fascinating conversation ensues. You know, you really need some outside stuff. Right. Well, this is also, I mean, this chapter is the first time that the rivalry between the two guys, Jacob, who can turn into a werewolf, I'm trying to still do my plot summary here, and Edward, who can turn into a vampire, that... It's the first time they've had this naked, open rivalry. Right? Literally naked. <laughs> yeah, well, Jacob is naked most of the time, as is his whole pack of werewolves, which also becomes hilarious to me. I actually love the kind of mini worlds that this movie just assumes that we're comfortable with now. Totally. Like, we're back at the hut where the Native American shirtless boys and cutoffs <laughs> run around howling all day. It's very Star Wars. Like, it really is sort of like, oh, now we're on this planet. Right. You know, it's like, it's like the Ewoks. <laughs> and even though those worlds are ridiculous, I have to say they're pretty perfectly rendered visually. Like, oh, the colon. Yeah strange house, whatever beautiful architectural wonder they found that they live in, and them all just sort of standing around in nicely pressed clothes all the time, looking at each other with amber contact lenses. Yeah. I mean, all those worlds are really silly, but they're quite convincing at this point. Oh, yeah. I think they're very good at every, visually, every single world. I I can't remember if it was the first movie or the second movie, but I I think it's got to be the first where Edward and Bella go out for their first... date at a cafe. And I think the cafe in the book is just kind of like, who knows what Stephanie Meyer does with it? You know, not very much visually, but I think Catherine Hardwick understood she had to make it this little sort of winking, you know, perfect Seattle, like movie cafe kind of thing, like the most romantic, hilly little place you could ever find. She did a really good sense of place. I have to say, I think in terms of just making Forks, Washington look incredible and the whole sort of, you know, flying through trees business or not flying, but I guess perching up high in trees. Yeah. She really got the sense of place right. And that's a little bit more absent from this one because we're so deep into the story now that there's not a lot of scene gazing. Um, So I don't know how much story summary we really need to do. Essentially, the two boys are fighting for Bella's affection. And then on a bigger global scale, there's this war brewing not only between the vampires and werewolves, who they end up making an alliance against this third group, but against 
this uh, this rogue vampire played by Bryce Dallas Howard, Victoria, right. who's ginning up this army of what they call newborns, which is right. people that were just made into vampires and are still really undisciplined and just right. run around chomping on everything they see. Right. And I guess for the for the plot thing, Bella was the reason her mate was killed, which is why... Victoria's uh, mate. Victoria's mate was killed, which is why she's... This vendetta for Bella has been big. And also... Oh, I guess, well, two things about that. The, also the Volturi, you know, the big... The, oh, right. There's the, another set of bad vampires. Who, they're, they're, so well, I think of them as like the Vatican of vampires or like something. They're like ur-vampires. Like, <laughs> like the most powerful, eldest, refined vampires. And they are mad because they're like, you can't date a human. You know, because their whole thing is like, the reason they're against the newborns also is their whole thing is we, we got to stay underground. Um, you know, we, we can't draw attention to ourselves. So Bella, you know, dating human is against the rules. And also this newborn army is against the rules because they're like killing people all over Seattle. So that's partly. And I felt like that was another part where it's like that's like a good plot convention. You know, that that there's a reason for that conflict. It's not just like sort of like, oh, we couldn't figure out why, but they don't like her. You know, there's like a genuine motivation for why everything is focused on Bella. Right. right I mean, in terms of it being a kind of I mean, it's not exactly science fiction, but it has the feeling of, you know, a science fiction novel where the universe has been really carefully thought through. And the universe yeah. is kind of the most interesting thing about it. I mean, I could only make it through the first book because the writing is so bad. <laughs> I know. But, but I will say that now that I'm into the movie, the whole chain of movies, I like that world and all the little, you know, the little um, laws and rules of it that we keep learning more right. about. Well, the part I was most interested in as a girl is that actually there's this one scene where the uh, vampires are watching over Bella's house. And then for the second uh, shift, the werewolves all come to watch over her. And I've, you know, written about and known about in the series how much the plot is almost entirely designed around protecting Bella. But that was really the moment where I was just like, everything in this movie happens because Bella needs to be protected. You know, the reason why the werewolves and the vampires are together is just to protect Bella. There's there's no other outside force. And that has usually been something um, that you see as opposed to sort of like Edward and Bella's love. Like, that's the conflict. You know, how is Edward going to justify loving Bella when loving Bella means exposing her to harm? You know, means that he'll kill her if they have sex or kiss. You know, she'll, if she bleeds, he might eat her to death, you know. For, and then now, of course, has the Volturia after her, which is another whole danger. So you were just saying that Bella is this character who's entirely defined by her propensity to be harmed. For her propensity to be harmed. And so I, when I, <laughs> I guess when I saw those people massing underneath, I was a little bit like it was the first time I noticed that Bella is actually she's a little bit like Sarah Jessica Parker's you know it's Sex of the City in this way where you're like there's an extraordinary kind of ego going there like you know if you were doing something that required a legion of vampires and werewolves to have to protect you sort of as the main focus of the course of their life I feel like I'd probably take off like I'd be like you know uh, <laughs> I don't want to take up any more of you guys time <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to blow this pop I mean, I guess the idea is that, like, Victoria is going to hunt her down, so it's sort of necessary. But I'd be apologizing. I'd be bringing some cupcakes. You know, I might <laughs> I might suspend romantic relations with any of the people because I'd be like, this is confusing, you know. And that was kind of interesting to me from a feminist point of view because you're sort of like, don't these other people have anything else to do? There's no other vampire werewolf who's, like, not so much with the protecting 
Isabella as the sole purpose of my life. Right. Yeah. It doesn't seem like there's any factions that are rising up saying, oh, wait, this is bullshit. <laughs> right. Which is like, I know that's part of the fantasy, but it's like, it certainly makes sense for a boy, you know, whether or not. So let's say you're a young teenage girl. As your fantasy, you love the idea of being obsessed, you know, a boy being obsessed with you. And that makes sense. But also as an adult who knows that that's not such a real thing, you still get it that a boy might take it upon himself to be all like, I to protect you. I mean, you see teenagers do that kind of dynamic all the time. But it's the part where the other adults do it, where you're like, you know, if you're with a couple and then you're the third wheel and you guys all want to go to pizza, usually the third person will be like, well, I don't really want pizza. (laughs) I don't know. I just found that that was clearest in this movie. Well, speaking of adults going along, I mean, this is kind of a minor (laughs) story point, but I also am very curious Maybe, you know, Twihards can clue me in at this point, but what does the father think is going on at this point in the story? So Charlie Swan, Bella's dad, is this incredibly protective dad. He's We're supposed to believe he's a very good dad, right? And and yet his his daughter, I mean, think of the things that have happened in the past few episodes. She disappears for this long period of time and comes well, back, like, horribly wounded. She's in the hospital with these mysterious vampire wounds. Right. And she's hanging out with this strange, incestuous, weird-looking family and with this obsessive boyfriend. <laughs> I mean, it just seems like... I, it doesn't really go with him being a protective father that he would let this no. continue to happen. No, and and I think I do think what these books do is they sort of bring back the tradition. I mean, I sort of associate it with Gilmore Girls a little bit, but as as the parent, not as an absent figure and not as a super friend figure, but as this, as you say, this sort of like you know the idea is that they're supposed to be protective, but actually nothing they do is protective at all. Like her mother has run off with another man. You know, her mother's like this totally little uh, absentee mother. And the dad has no idea what's going on in her life. And their one talk about virginity is really like, you know, this total ironic, jokey thing. So I do think, I mean, I do think the purpose of parents in all of these movies is sort of like, I mean, there's, 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 that may be part of the fantasy for teenagers also, you know, not, not that the parent is friendly, but that really and truly the, the nothing the parent does interferes with the child's life at all. Right. You know? Right. No, I guess you're right. The, the, the simple answer is that he is a fantasy dad. He's a fantasy dad right. who both appears to be and can be believed to be utterly protecting and right. reassuring and also someone who sort of lets you get away with whatever vampire craziness you want. And, and and that actually makes a huge difference from the kind of vampire movies they had in the 80s because I don't know if you remember The Lost Boys, which was also about the tribe of vampires. Right. Things. But The Lost Boys, the mother was kind of absentee, but because she had just been divorced and she was freaking out. So she wasn't paying a lot of attention to her sons, but that was actually sort of a real conflict in the movie. You know, and they're more of, like latchkey kids. Total, total latchkey kids. And then when she comes in with a boyfriend, that's sort of, and you know, she doesn't know he's the king vampire. That's like a conflict. And I feel like in these movies, they, they do take things that would be enormous, genuine conflicts. You know, your mother left your dad and left you, you know, and the father, she doesn't know her father at all. You know, she really only meets her father when she's much older. So these are things that would actually be sort of emotionally, you know, really disturbing. And Meyer doesn't address that at all. I mean, that really is just completely swept under the rug as, you know, that might be the biggest fantasy of the entire book, not the vampires. Well, while we're talking about fantasy, I mean, this is so big that I don't even know how to confront it. But so (laughs) what 
what do you think that we as feminists, that feminism can do with the Twilight series and the movie? I mean, I know that there are lots and lots of people who would just simply throw up their hands and be horrified by the whole thing. You know, I know that you often hear references to, are you team Edward, team Jacob, or team Bella should get off her ass and have a life and not depend on boyfriends for everything. So the fact that you and I have a weak spot for this series, in my case, at least the film series, how do you justify that? As you said, we had a weak spot for the series. I just started dreaming, and I was like, yeah, they, they do her makeup so well. I, lo- I love that neutral face they do on Bella. So it's like, do you know what I mean? Like, that's what <laughs> and I love how her that's hair looks. That's your own escape zone. That's my own escape zone. So it's like, I'm clearly not a good feminist in this way. I mean, what I said in an earlier review, which I think is true, is that – uh, you know, of course, everything, you know, the idea of Bella's weakness and everything being organized around Bella's injuries is 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 ridiculous and horrible. But I think what the directors have done correctly is to make the movies increasingly kitschy. Um, and I feel like as kitsch, it works, you know, because I was, uh, it, you know, it's supposed to be slightly silly. You know, it's not only the fact that, of course, vampires and werewolves are ludicrous, but there's something cartoonish and silly about the romance. I mean, when they're lying in that tent. Oh, set up the tent scene. You have to, if we're spoiling, we have to spoil the tent because ultimately this is the image that will stay with me from the movie. It is, although I don't even really understand why that tent was there. Like, there's this one. I mean, I know what's happened is that they're hiding out, I guess, setting it up. The newborns are are coming. There's going to be a big battle, right? Yes, the next day. The, the newborns are coming. They've been fully trained. They're coming to kill Bella. And um, uh, so what they've done is sort of made her hide out. Um, so Jacob carries her into uh, up on this hill. I, I don't even know why they're on the hill. Uh, why are they on that <laughs> I hill? I don't know. <laughs> it's supposed to be a safe hideout above the fray or something oh, like that. Okay, that's but they go is. too high. I think Edward, you know, not being human and not being able to sense right. temperature doesn't realize that he's gone too high to pitch the tent on this mountain where they have to hide out for the night. And so right. they pitch the tent and Bella goes in and we don't even need to know why they're up there. Whatever. They just have to spend the night in this tent. And it's And cold. she's freezing. And so there's this, once again, <laughs> propensity for harm. Like, poor little Bella is chattering away in her sleeping bag. And so obviously the setup is going to be, right? Because it's already been established in previous episodes that Jacob is this extra warm-bodied right. person because he's part wolf or whatever. And, and Edward, of course, has no body heat, whatever, because he's cold and icy and glittering <laughs> well, like marble. Well, he is. Vampires are cold. That's their whole thing. Right. And so, the, so the, the Jacob's hot, Edward's cold thing has been established for a long time. And so we see what's coming is that Jacob is going to have to, in order to save Bella, Bella snuggle with her all night while Edward sits there because he can't sleep. I love right. that detail. He's a vampire, so it's not like he can sleep. He has to just sit there and watch them. <laughs> It's so funny. It's so good. I love that scene. Okay. Well, and also what's interesting because we're going to see this in the fourth book is that also the conversation about Bella entirely takes place while Bella is asleep. So they sort of talk about her fate. You know, she's not even an active And then there's party. this nice kind of homosocial bonding where they're sort of like, hey, you're all right. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's like if our tribes weren't warring and if we weren't trying to, they literally say that. Like if you weren't trying to steal my girl and kill all of my, you know, ancestral tribesmen, you'd be okay. Right, right, right. Well, in that sense, also, I think the werewolves are – We, I mean, we talked a little bit about the flashbacks, I guess, in this movie. There's – what did you say? You said something funny, actually, while we were watching. Oh, yeah. Just that – I mean, just in case all of your girl dreams were not fulfilled, there's multiple period flashbacks. Because every time a vampire tells his or her, her story, we hear about how they became a vampire and at what point in the past it was. And then suddenly it's, I was a Confederate soldier in the Civil War or, or, you know, whatever. Like, I was a girl in Victorian England. And they right. – we have a little period flashback in costume and they're all quite – Juicy. They're all quite juicy. And what I also love, just as a 
book critic is that they're related to the plot. They're they're important to the plot. You know, the idea that Jasper was a Civil War general is important, A, because it's why he knows how to defeat newborns, because he used to train and kill newborns. And it also establishes the part, which I don't even know if we have time to go into, but, you know, everybody can see... Uh, 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 what's her face? The psychic vampire would have been able to see Victoria coming and Victoria's plot would have been foiled. But the only reason Victoria was was able to do this is she manipulated a man um, into doing the plot, which What's-Her-Face wouldn't have been able to see. So that's why the newborn... Alice were, is What's-Her-Face. Alice, Alice, <laughs> that's why... That's why and, and that's a whole theme in this movie. The, that, the, the two ways women are powerful, and this is where I really am talking away my thing, but that's fine, is as manipulators behind the scenes, manipulators mm-hmm. of men or helpless. Right. And so if we Oh, want and to- I have one more too, oh, which yeah, is related go- to, to <laughs> manipulators and helpless. But there's a moment when um, Victoria and Edward are having a big battle to the death, a big vampire battle. Yeah. And Bella's looking around. What can I do? I can't. I can't possibly intervene because I'm not right. strong enough. Then she finds a sharp stone. This yeah. is actually up near the tent on the yeah, hill. Yeah, yeah. And and like slits her wrist, yeah. cuts herself so that this blood will distract the vampires, right. and maybe they'll come and get her. Not maybe, definitely because Bella has the most delicious vampire blood in the world. Like that's the idea. Also, like is that Bella has the best blood. Like if you or I cut ourselves, who knows? They would have been like, <laughs> ho yeah. hum, ho hum. You know, I'm going to stick with this fight here. But so. Once again, like her, the the fact that people want to destroy her is her greatest strength. But to me, that was also just this really sacrificial. It was almost oh, like yeah. some medieval saint or something. Like totally. I shall, I shall cut myself so that I may <laughs> save my man. So yeah, I mean, basically, as a feminist role model, Bella is just completely abysmal. Right. But the last thing I want to say about that is, I think, I mean, I say the tiny bit that I mentioned feminism in my review. It's essentially to sort of say, you know, this isn't really the place for feminism. This movie takes place in some zone that's sort of like outside of ideology. It's right. completely about, you know, secret desires and passions and, like, underground yearnings for things that we shouldn't yearn for. Um, But, and so, I guess in that sense, I'm sort of poo-pooing the the feminism idea. But when I start to think about the fact that I have a four-year-old daughter, what would I think if she was 13 and she was in love with these movies? And especially what's going to happen to Bella down the line? I mean, I know from just having heard about the books that they you know, either get, I don't know if they get married, but they have a baby as teenagers together. You know, they sort of, once I start thinking about the next phase that the 17 year old is, is now right. engaged and is going to have a vampire baby. Which eats then her I, from the inside. Oh, by God. The way. Oh, no. Don't even tell me. Yeah. So then I start to think, well, maybe if I had a 13 year old daughter who was all swoony over this, I might be a little horrified and take her aside to talk about it. Well, I think, I mean, I get, I mean, I don't know. I'm the worst person to ask about what girls should be raised with, but like, I mean, I should be a good person, but I'm not. And I mean, I do think the idea, I remember the scene with Bella in the bed, right, where uh, they get a night alone at the house and Bella, as she always does, tries to get Edward to sleep with her. And Edward refuses because the idea is, you know, if Edward, they don't say this, but you know, if Edward comes, he might lose control and then eat her. Right. You know, so, so he can't, he can't lose control that much. Um, and what was interesting to me about that particular scene is that I was kind of thinking that with with Edward, Bella can do no wrong. Edward's, you know, they don't, 
uh, shoot the shit about anything. You know, they don't have anything else that they talk about. Like, it's not like they're like, oh, you know, I don't really like Thai food. You know, <laughs> what do you think about this movie? My homework's so boring. There's, Whereas you can picture her talking with Jacob about that stuff. You can picture her talking with Jacob about that. And so there is something obviously entirely appealing about this idea of a boy just completely focused on your love, not because you're such a narcissist, but it, because it's such a relief. Because, you know, of course, boys at that age don't really ever say anything, you know. And I think I think where you don't really need to worry about that as a mom is that, frankly, there's not any boys that do this anyway, A. And I think it's just basically um, the reason why both sexes at that age want to see each other as ciphers. It's just it's, it is scary to become an adult and get to know someone with all their fears and foibles. And I actually think in in that sense, it's a perfectly healthy fantasy. It's like, wow, relationships are scary. Wouldn't it be a relief if all my boyfriend did was talk about how awesome I was? But in terms of like <laughs> finding an actual Edward in real life, I'm not particularly worried about that. That's why I feel like for what's happening now, the triangle fantasy, I mean, I, I'm totally fine with my 13-year-old having some strange fantasy about being a manipulative, passive right. you know, person in a tent being snuggled. But actually, right. it's quite perverse and kind of polyamorous and cool, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Snuggling in a tent with your wolf man while the other guy like looks on. I mean, right. it's hardly square. But then when things start to get really square, it freaks me out a little bit. I don't know if I would want my 13-year-old fantasizing about having a baby at 17 and how she was going to buck, you know, buck all the naysayers and do it anyway. Well, and that's also weird. I think we're really going to see how do girls react to that baby because that's where it really gets gross. You know, the great thing about Edward is they can't even kiss, you know. So when it gets to the point where a baby is really getting in there, I really think the directors are sort of going to have a hard time selling that one. I'm not sure how they're going to do it. Yeah, well, be assured that I'm going to take you to see that one with me because I love this conversation. <laughs> okay, we, I could go on all day, but we should we should shut it down. Um, okay. Thanks a lot, Lizzie, for seeing the movie with me and for coming in to tape this spoiler special. Oh, thank you. It was really fun. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens.